Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. As always, or as lately, um, I will give my disclaimer. Um, this book, this episode, is not listed as explicit, um, despite having some difficult themes. I would not say that the themes are adult, but they can be hard to digest. This book is about slavery. Slavery is bad. Bad things happen to slaves. I kind of ghosted a bad things happen to, uh, um, this book is about a past instance of slavery, though people are still slaves in the world. So bad things happen to slaves. This book is about slavery. Um, I'm getting uncomfortable reading it. I want you to be uncomfortable listening to it. Um, the language is not super over the top. Um, that's part of why I'm not, I, I haven't listed it as explicit. Um, but yeah, listener discretion, definitely advised. Okay. Um, uh, I will say, I don't know what's coming up. I haven't really said this in others, in other disclaimers, but I'll point out, I don't know what's coming up. I might warn you about this and nothing terribly bad happens. The last chapter was about celebrations. <laughs> so, um, now there was still some language and it's all in the context of this is actually torture. Uh, but you know, the last chapter was, wasn't too bad as far as content. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe the next one is absolutely horrid. I don't know. Cause I'm reading the book for you. I should say I'm, I'm cold reading the book for you. So, okay. Anyway, 12 years a slave chapter 16. With the exception of my trip to St. Mary's Parish and my absence during the cane-cutting seasons, I was constantly employed on the plantation of Master Epps. He was considered but a small planter, not having a sufficient number of hands to require the services of an overseer, acting in the latter capacity himself. Not able to increase his force, it was his custom to hire during the hurry of cotton-picking. On larger estates employing fifty or a hundred, or perhaps two hundred hands, an overseer deemed... Or an overseer is deemed indispensable. These gentlemen ride, gentlemen, ride into the field on horseback, without an exception to my knowledge, armed with pistols, a bowie knife, whip, and accompanied by several dogs. They follow, equipped in this fashion, in rear of the slaves, keeping a sharp lookout upon them all. The requisite qualifications is an overseer in an overseer, sorry, the requisite qualifications in an overseer are utter heartlessness, brutality, and cruelty, and lack of Oxford comma. It is his business to produce large crops, and if that is accomplished, no matter what amount of suffering it may have, it may have caught. Um, large crops, and if that is accomplished, no, no matter what amount of suffering it may have caused. That sentence flowed weird for me, because I wanted to, um, it to say, like, and if that is accomplished, uh, 
no matter what it may have cost, he has succeeded or something. Like I expected there to be a closing cadence to that sentence, but there wasn't one. Or at least I can't figure out how to read it like one or like there is. The presence of the dogs are necessary to overhaul a fugitive who may take to his heels, as is sometimes the case when faint or sick. He is unable to maintain his row and unable also to endure the whip. The pistols are reserved for any dangerous emergency, there having been instances when such weapons were necessary. Goaded into uncontrollable madness, even the slave will sometimes turn upon his oppressor. The gallows were standing at Marksville last July, upon which one executed a year ago, one was executed a year ago for killing his overseer. It occurred not many mi- it occurred not many miles from Epps's plantation on Red River. The slave was given his task at splitting rails. In the course of the day, the overseer sent him on an errand which occupied so much time that it was not possible for him to perform the task. The next day he was ca- called upon or he was called to an account, but the loss of time occasioned by the errand was no excuse. And he was ordered to kneel and bare his back for the reception of the lash. They were in the woods alone, beyond the reach of sight or hearing. The boy submitted until maddened at such injustice, and insane with pain, he sprang to his feet and seizing an axe, he sprang to his feet and seizing an axe, literally chopped the overseer in pieces. Ew. He made no attempt whatever at concealment, but hastening to his master related the whole affair, and declared himself ready to expiate the wrong by the sacrifice of his life. Wow. He was led to the scaffold, and while the rope was around his neck, maintained an undismayed and fearless bearing, and with his last words justified the act. Uh, Besides the overseer, there are drivers under him, the number being in proportion to the number of hands in the field. Um, I'm going back to the, the kid who was hanged. Um, I'm reminded of the concept of suicide by cop, in which you aggravate law enforcement to the point where they may consider themselves justified to kill you. It's rather unfortunate that anyone would do that, that it happens, that anyone would have the idea, and that this kid seems to have kind of done that. (laughs) Oh, that was not a laugh of, wow, this is funny. Have I ever mentioned laughing on this? There's a book that I can't read here because it's not public domain called Stranger in a Strange Land, and I'm not going to relate the entire thing to you. It <laughs> Suffice it to say that for reasons, there is a person who is human who is trying to figure out why people laugh because he has absolutely no idea, no context for it. And the conclusion that he ultimately draws is that... People laugh because it hurts so much. And I have a hard time disputing that. 
Not that laughter is not a good thing. Not that having occasion to laugh is not a is not a pleasant thing. But it certainly explains those moments when you say something really, really horrible. Not necessarily horrible that you said it, but that you know, you bring up something really horrible and you just reflexively <laughs> like I just did. Not that time, but you know, before I started this thing about laughing. But anyway, moving on. Um, the drivers are black who, in addition to the performance of their equal share of work, are compelled to do the whipping of their several gangs. Whips hang around their necks, and if they fail to use them thoroughly, are whipped themselves. They have a few privileges, however. For example, in cane cutting, the hands are not allowed to sit down long enough to eat their dinners. Carts filled with corn cake cooked at the kitchen are driven into the field at noon. The cake is distributed by the drivers and must be eaten with the least possible delay. That's a very different system than the uh, than the cotton fields. That's interesting. At least I seem to remember the cotton fields. They have to bring their own food. When the slave ceases to perspire, as he often does when taxed beyond his strength, he falls to the ground and becomes entirely helpless. It is then the duty of the driver to drag him into the shade of the standing cotton or cane or of a neighboring tree, where he dashes buckets of water upon him and uses other means to bring out uh, perspiration again when he is ordered to his place and compelled to continue his labor that is called heat exhaustion and that is not sufficient first aid at huff power when i first came to epps's tom one of robert's negroes was a driver or was driver um, he was a burly fellow and severe in the extreme. After Epps's removal to Bayou Boeuf, that distinguished honor was conferred upon myself. Oh, yay! Up to the time of my departure, I had to wear a whip about my neck in the field. If Epps was present, I dared not show any lenient... Lenity? Lenity? Lenity, maybe? I would say leniency, but... I mean, it means the same thing, clearly, but... It's a different word, um, or a different version of the same word. Not having the Christian fortitude of a certain well-known Uncle Tom sufficiently to brave his wrath, I wondered if Uncle Tom was going to come up, by refusing to perform the office. In that way only, I escaped the immediate martyrdom he suffered, and withal saved my companions much suffering, as it proved in the end. Epps, I soon found, whether actually in the field or not, had his eyes pretty generally upon us. From the piazza... Uh, from behind some adjacent tree or other concealed point of observation, he was perpetually on the watch. If one of us had been backward or idle through the day, we were apt to be told all about it on returning to the quarters. And as it were, and as it was, a matter of principle with him to reprove every offense of that kind that came within his knowledge. The offender not only was certain of receiving a castigation for his tardiness, but I likewise was punished for permitting it. So all Epps does all day is stare at his people working <laughs> instead of actually doing anything. If on the other... I don't know. 
maybe he does other things, but if, on the other hand, he had seen me uh, use the lash freely, the man was satisfied. Practice makes perfect, truly. That, that's in quotes. Practice, quote, practice makes perfect, end quote. Truly. And during my eight years' experience as a driver, I learned to handle the whip with marvelous dexterity and precision, throwing the lash within a hair's breadth of the back, the ear, the nose, without ever, or without, however, touching either of them. Nice. If Epps was observed at a distance, or we had reason to um, apprehend he was sneaking somewhere in the vicinity, I would commence plying the lash vigorously. When, according to arrangement, they would squirm and screech as if in agony, although not one of them had, in fact, been even grazed. <laughs> Stick it to him. See, that's one thing. Um, one component to the torture that is slavery, and I've mentioned this before, but um, having drivers and have having them be slaves um, is like you give someone a promotion, someone a promotion, but their honor is to become more like you, like become bad, uh, instead of just being a victim. Now you're a participant. Um, and that's just, you know, another layer of the horribleness. Um, so I like that, uh, Northup is, like I said, sticking it to him. Um, Patsy would take occasion, if he made his appearance presently, to mumble in his hearing some complaints that Platt was lashing them the whole time. <laughs> and Uncle Abram, with an appearance of honesty or peculiar to himself, I always switch, or I mix up peculiar in particular, peculiar to himself, would declare roundly, I had just whipped them worse than uh, General Jackson whipped the enemy at New, New Orleans. Oh, that's funny. Um... Did they never? Did they never look for wounds? I don't know. Apparently not. If Epps was not drunk and in one of his beastly humors, this was in general satisfactory. If he was, someone or more, someone or more of us must suffer, as a matter of course. Sometimes his violence assumed a dangerous form, placing the lives of his human stock in jeopardy. On one occasion, the drunken madman thought to amuse himself by cutting my throat. That's fun. He had been absent at Holmesville in attendance at a shooting match, and none of us were aware of his return. While hoeing by the side of Patsy, she exclaimed in a low voice suddenly, Platt, do you see old Hogjaw beckoning me to come to him? Glancing sideways, I discovered him in the edge of the field, uh, motioning and grimacing, as was his habit when half intoxicated. Aware of his lewd intentions, Patsy began to cry. Um, I whispered her, not to look up and to continue her work as if she had not observed him suspecting the truth of the matter however he soon staggered up to me in a great rage what did you say to pats he demanded with an oath i made him some evasive answer uh, which only had the effect of increasing his violence how long have you owned this plantation say you damned yeah he inquired with a malicious sneer, um, at the same time taking hold of my shirt collar with one hand and thrusting the other into his pocket. Now I'll cut your black throat. That's what I'll do. And drawing his knife from his pocket as he said it. But with one hand, he was unable to open it until finally seizing the blade in his teeth. Um, I saw he was about to succeed and felt the necessity 
of escaping from him, for in his present reckless state it was evident he was not joking by any means. That was a long sentence. I mean, for this book, certainly. Not long for Agatha Christie, but or Lewis Carroll. I'll say it again. Uh, but with one hand, yes, it started with a butt. But with one hand, he was unable to open it until finally seizing the blade in his teeth. I saw he was about to succeed and felt the necessity of escaping from him. For in his present reckless state, it was evident he was not joking by any means. My shirt was open in front, and as I turned round quickly and sprang from him, while he still retained his gripe, I bet it's grip, but spelled differently, has an E, um, it was stripped entirely from my back. There was no difficulty now in eluding him. He would chase uh, me until out of breath, then stop until it was recovered, swear, and renew the chase again. Now, I, I am now picturing like the the movie poster for 12 years a slave uh i don't know that a shirt's ripped up in that but for some reason this is the scene that made me think of that um now he would command me to come to him now endeavor to coax me but i was careful to keep at a respectful distance in this manner he made the circuit of the field several times he um he making desperate plunges and i always dodging them more amused than frightened uh, well knowing that when his sober senses returned, he would laugh at his own drunken folly. At length I observed the mistress standing by the yard fence, watching our half-serious, half-comical maneuvers. That's a weird way to spell maneuver. It's M-A-N, and then that weird, well, weird for me, uh, uh, being, well, English speaker that I am. Um, it, it's the O and the E shoved together. Um, I think Bayou Booth has that too. So it's like maneuvers or something, but it's weird because it's those two and then a U. <laughs> so it's like all these vowels just shoved together. Um, and then V-R-E-S. Shooting past him, I ran directly to her. Epps, on discovering her, did not follow. He remained about the field an hour or more, during which time I stood by the mistress, having related the particulars of what had taken place. Now she would... Yeah, she is italicized. Now she was aroused again, denouncing her husband and Patsy about equally. <laughs> Finally, Epps came towards the house, uh, by this time nearly sober, walking demurely, uh, with his hands behind his back, and attempting to look as innocent as a child. As he approached, nevertheless, Mistress Epps began to berate him roundly, heaping upon him many rather disrespectful epithets, and demanding for what reason he had attempted to cut my throat. Epps made wondrous strange of it all, uh, and to my surprise, swore by all the saints in the calendar he had not spoken to me that day. Platt, you lying... Have I? was his brazen appeal to me. It is not safe to contradict a master even by the assertion of a truth. So I was silent, and when he entered the house, I returned to the field, and the affair was never alluded to. Um, shortly after this time, a circumstance occurred that came nigh divulging the secret of my real name and history, which I had so long and carefully concealed, and upon which I was convinced de depended on my final escape. Soon after purchase. Um, soon after he purchased me, Epps asked me if I could write and read, and on being informed that I had received some instruction in those branches of education, 
having been a free man, of course, he assured me that was not in the book. He assured me with emphasis, if he ever caught me with a book or with a pen and ink, he would give me a hundred lashes. He said he wanted me to understand that he bought people to work and not to educate. He never inquired a word of my past life or from whence I came. The mistress, however, cross-examined me frequently about Washington, which she supposed was my native city, and more than once remarked that I did not talk nor act like the other... And she was sure I had seen more of the world than I admitted. My great object always was to invent means of getting a was to invent means yeah i thought it might be invest um invent means of getting a letter secretly into the post office directed to some of my friends or family at the north the difficulty of such an achievement cannot be comprehended by one unacquainted with the severe restrictions imposed upon me in the first place i was deprived of pen ink and paper in the second place a slave cannot leave his plantation without a pass nor will a postmaster mail a letter for one without written instructions from his owner. I was in slavery nine years, and always watchful and on the alert, before I met with the good fortune fortune of obtaining a sheet of paper. A sheet of paper. While Epps was in New Orleans one winter disposing of his cotton, the mistress sent me to Holmesville um, with an order for several articles and among the rest, a quantity of fool's cap. I'm not sure what fool's cap is. It's either fool's cap or fool's cap. I imagine it's fool's cap. Um, my guess is that it's a mushroom. Maybe psychedelic, hence the fool. I don't know. <laughs> I appreciated, or I appropriated a sheet concealing it in the cabin under the board on which I slept. After various experiments, I succeeded in making ink by boiling white maple bark with a feather plucked from the wing of a duck or and with a feather plucked from the wing of a duck manufactured a pen when all uh, were asleep in the cabin by the light of the coals lying upon my plank couch i managed to complete a somewhat lengthy epistle it was directed to an old acquaintance at sandy hill stating my condition and urging him to take measures to restore me to liberty this letter i kept a long time time I should also point out, tell my family I'm alive and hoping to get home. <laughs> um, uh, this letter I kept a long time, contriving measures by which it could be safely deposited in in the post office. At length, a long or a low fellow by the name of Armsby, uh, hitherto a stranger, came into the neighborhood seeking a situation as overseer. He applied to Epps and was about the plantation for several days. He next went over to Shaw's nearby, and nearby is two words for some reason, and remained with him several weeks. Shaw was generally surrounded by such worthless characters, being himself noted as a gambler and unprincipled man. He had made a wife of his slave Charlotte, and a brood of young mulattoes, mixed, uh, mixed race, were growing up in his house. Armsby became so much reduced at last that he was compelled to labor with the slaves. A white man working in the field is a rare and unusual spectacle in Bayou Boeuf. Yep, that's the wee thing. Um, oh, with the U after it. I don't know. Maneuvers? Boeuf? I don't know. 
I'm not French. I should stop trying to... Well, I'm not French. I don't know French. I haven't practiced French. I should stop trying to pronounce French as if I know it very well, right? (laughs) I'm not trying to mock the French. French is a very beautiful language. Um, It is... is like you you can say the the most horrible things in French and it sounds lyrical <laughs> and beautiful and then um German or Russian <laughs> you can say the most beautiful or lyrical things and sound angry <laughs> that reminds there there was a commercial I do not for the life of me remember what the commercial was for but it was like a guy walking around in some Eastern European town. And I don't know if it was like an old world town. Um, I don't know if it was uh, Germany or uh, Russia, Soviet, whatever. Um, And I don't know what language the people were speaking, but he did not know the language and he was walking around and there were subtitles and um, it was like two old guys playing chess. And then, um, you know, one of them checkmates, and the other one like stands up and he's really saying like the subtitles are like good game. You know, now do you want to go out for, you know, I guess it's my turn to pay for a beer or something like that. You know, he, he was being all congenial and stuff, but it scared the, the, you know, the main character, the non speaker. <laughs> um, it, he like flinched as he passed by and uh, you know, just various iterations of um people saying perfectly perfectly normal perfectly uh nice things to each other <laughs> and this guy just jumping every time someone spoke because it sounded like they were angry <laughs> the whole time but anyway um french is the opposite of that one um anyway i'm just bad at saying it i'm just bad at pronouncing french i improved every opportunity of cultivating his acquaintance privately uh desiring to obtain his confidence so far as to be willing to to entrust the letter to his keeping. He visited Marksville repeatedly, he informed me, a town some twenty miles distant, and there I proposed to myself the letter should be mailed. Carefully deliberating on the most proper manner of approaching him on the subject, I concluded finally to ask him simply if he would deposit a letter for me in the Marksville post office the next time he visited the place, that place, without disclosing to him that the letter was written or without disclosing to him yet that the letter was written or any of the particulars it contained for i had fears that he might betray me and knew that some inducement must be held out to him of a pecuniary nature he wants to be paid before it would be safe to confide in him as late as one o'clock one night i stole noiselessly from my cabin and crossing the field to shaw's found him sleeping on the piazza i had uh, but a few pecunias, however, I I don't even remember how I pronounce it. That's funny, because I recognize pecuniary as being something having to do with money, and then there's this other word that I've never seen before. I mean, I've seen it in this book elsewhere, but um, I have no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> um, it's like picayunes or something, uh, P-I-C-A-Y-U-N-E-S, I don't know. The proceeds of my fiddling performances, but all I had in the world, I promised him if he would do me the favor, the favor required. I begged him not to expose me if he could not grant the request. He assured me upon his honor he would deposit it in the Marksville post office and that he would keep it in an inviolable secret forever. 
he would keep it an inviolable secret forever. Like, I cannot violate it. Um, though the letter was in my pocket at the time, I dared not then deliver it to him. But, but stating I would have it written in a day or two, bade him good night and returned to my cabin. It was impossible for me to expel the suspicions I entertained, and all night I lay awake, revolving in my mind the safest course to pursue. I was willing to risk a great deal to accomplish my purpose, but should the letter by any means fall into the hands of apps, it would be a death blow to my aspirations. I was, quote, perplexed in the extreme. My suspicions were well-founded, as the sequel demonstrated. The next day, uh, but one, while scraping cotton in the field, Epps seated himself on the line fence between Shaw's plantation and his own, in such a position as to overlook the scene of our labors. Presently, Armsby made his appearance, and, mounting the fence, took a seat beside him. They remained two or three hours, all of which time I was in an agony of apprehension. That night, while broiling my bacon, Epps entered the cabin with his rawhide in his hand. Well, boy, said he, I understand I've got a larned, a learned, larned, I don't know. He's saying learned, but poorly. And then there's another noun after that, uh, that writes letters and tries to get white fellows to mail them. Uh, wonder if you know who he is. My worst fears were realized. And although it may not be considered entirely credible, uh, creditable, even under the circumstances, yet a resort to duplicity and downright falsehood was the only refuge that presented itself. Don't know nothing about it, Master Epps, I answered him. Yeah, I answered him, assuming an air of ignorance and surprise. Don't know nothing at all about it, sir. Uh, want you over to Shaw's... Oh, it's weren't, but he's, again, saying it poorly. Want you over to Shaw's night before last, he inquired. No, master, was the reply. Haven't you asked that fellow, Armsby, to mail a letter for you at Marksville? Why, Lord Master, I never spoke three words to him in all my life. I don't know what you mean. Well, he continued, Armsby told me, today the devil was among my, man, that word comes up a lot this chapter, that I had one that needed close watching or he would run away. And when I asked, when I asked him why, <laughs> he said, you come over to Shaw's and waked him up in the night and wanted him to carry a letter to Marksville. What have you got to say to that, huh? The reason I laughed about axed is because um, that's a common dialect thing um, associated with African Americans um, is when instead of saying asked, they'll, they say axed. Um, and um, it, it bothers my ear, but I try not to, you know, be, I, I try not to correct people. I don't try not to be mean about it. Um, I, I know what they're saying. It's not unclear. Um, and it, like I said, it's a dialect thing. Um, so it's funny that the white guy's doing it. It's really funny that the white guy's doing it. The one who thinks he's better than black people. Um... All I've got to say, Master, I replied, is there is no truth in it. How could I write a letter without any ink or paper? Uh, there is nobody I want to write to, because I hain't got no... Hain't. <laughs> H, and then ain't. I hain't got no friends living as I know of. That Armsby is a lying, drunken fellow. 
they say, and nobody believes him anyway. You know, I always tell the truth, and that I never go off the plantation without a pass. Now, master, I can see what that Armsby is after, plain enough. Didn't he want you to hire him for an overseer? Yes, he wanted me to hire him, answered Epps. That's it, said I. He wants to make you believe we're all going to run away, and then he thinks he'll hire an overseer to watch us. He just made that story out of whole cloth because he wants to get a situation. It's all a lie, master. You may depend on on it, but it's a. I've never seen a contraction of on it. (laughs) You may depend on it. Epps mused for a while, evidently impressed with the plausibility of my theory, and exclaimed, I'm damned, Platt, if I don't believe you tell the truth. You must take me for a, uh, for a soft to think he can come it over me with them kind of yarns. Uh, oh, he must take me for a soft to think he can uh, come it over me with them kind of yarns, mustn't he? Maybe he thinks he can fool me. Maybe he thinks I don't know nothing. Uh, Can't take care of my own... Eh. A. Can't take care of my own. A. But I skipped a word. Uh, Soft soap old... (laughs) Soft soap. That's a brand name. Uh, Never thought I'd be doing product placement here, but there we are. Actually, I'm pretty sure I probably said another product name, and time or two just because you know it was in here somewhere or in a book uh soft soap old eps a ha 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 uh damn armsby set the dogs on him platt and with many other comments descriptive of armsby's general character and his capability of taking care of his own business and attending to his own it's in quotes too that time Master Apps left the cabin. As soon as he was gone, I threw the letter in the fire hall, and, uh, with a desponding and despairing heart, beheld the epistle which had cost me so much anxiety and thought, and which I fondly hoped would have been my forerunner to the land of freedom, uh, writhe and shrivel on its bed of coals and dissolve into smoke and ashes. He, he, so he didn't say when this was in his timeline. You know, it said he was a slave for nine years, but was this in year three? Or was this in year seven? <laughs> um, Armsby, the, treacher- the treacherous wretch, was driven from Shaw's plantation not long subsequently. Much to my relief, for I feared he might renew his conversation and perhaps int- induce Epps to credit him. I knew not now whither to uh, look for deliverance. Hopes sprang up in my heart, only to be crushed and blighted. The summer of my life was passing away. I felt I was growing prematurely old, that a few years more and toil uh, and grief and the poisonous miasmas of the swamps would accomplish their work upon me, would consign me to the grave's embrace, to molder and to be forgotten." Repelled, betrayed, cut off from the hope of succor, I could only prostrate myself upon the earth and groan in unutterable anguish. The hope of rescue was the only light that cast a ray of comfort on my heart. That was now flickering, faint and low. Another breath of disappointment would extinguish it altogether, leaving me to grope in midnight darkness to the end of life. Well, there's some foreshadowing. If you like what I do, rate and review on iTunes or your other platform of choice. Um, well, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, sorry. 
Um, if you want to reach out for constructive criticism or just to say hi or to suggest uh, future uh, future works, future books, or um, occasions and works in the public domain uh, to do for uh, specials, you can reach out at reading poorly on Twitter or reading comma poorly at gmail.com. That's spelled out. So it's R E A D I N G C O M M A P O O R L Y at gmail.com. Um, if I'm not available on your platform of choice, feel free to reach out. Let me know and I'll see if I can get there. Some of them I may not be able to. I know there's a ton of platforms out there. Many of them pretty much happen automatically because they just follow the Apple podcasts. Um, listings but others don't you have to try a little harder and i've gotten on some of those so just let me know um uh yeah am i missing anything i don't know um hopefully not thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly <laughs>